Welcome to the King of Glory Lutheran Church Education Podcast. We are a Christian community of faith located in Williamsburg, Virginia. For more information, please visit us on the web at kogva.org. We've been trying to figure out ways that we can involve people who are watching live um, more than we are in Bible study because it's, it's, it's just difficult because if the, present, the presenter can't be watching the Facebook page and presenting the material at the same time. Um, so we're going to give this a shot today and, and see, see if anyone chimes in. And if they don't, then we'll see at 6.15 and we'll keep going. We'll, we'll just keep trying it. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to start with an overview of the book. And then I'm going to lead the discussion for chapters 1 through 10. And Sarah will lead 11 through 19. And then I'll wrap up the discussion as well. So I have picked out some questions that I think would be good for us to discuss. And if you look at those questions and you say, I want to discuss another one of those, feel free. This isn't, we're only discussing the questions that I have. Um, These are the ones that I would just personally like to get through today. So let's open in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the blessing of... um, community and the community that you have given to us here at King of Glory. God, we ask that you would be with us now as we discuss uh, this book by Pastor Finke and that we would be able to um, learn from each other, learn from the book, uh, learn from our own experiences about how you are disrupting our lives so that we would be able to see people um, the way that you see them and form relationships with people the way you formed relationships with people. So thank you, God, for being our guide and our example, and we ask, Holy Spirit, now that you would be with us, open our hearts and our minds, um, that we can be present here and engage in this conversation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Okay, so how many of you had, how many have read the book previous to this, like before before this book club, okay? And did, did everybody read it for this one or no? Yes? Okay. Even if you didn't, half, yeah, that's okay. The good thing about this book is that there's a lot of really practical application, and, um, and so there's, it's not, you know, something that is, I think, out of our realm that we usually talk about at King of Glory um, or on our faith journey, and so I think it's, it's pretty accessible. Um, so chapter one, let's just jump in. Um, the questions that I had looked at, were the two on the bottom, what definitions are still unclear for you, if any? I thought we would start there. And then what was an aha moment you might have had reading the premise of the book in this first chapter? And then if we have time, then in the chapter one, to go to the top two or the second two questions. How is he making you feel uncomfortable? What is he inviting you to do? So are there any definitions that are still unclear in this? So we have here... Missional community, missional living, neighborhood, or neighboring. Were any of these different for you or have a question about them? No? Claire? Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I forgot. <laughs> we just term, talked about this and I forgot. The term <laughs> missional community or, yeah. you know, missional, whatever. I, there had been a um, um, Christianity Today article sometime in the last couple of weeks in the mm-hmm. daily feed I get. And it was an article about some mistheology that happens when hmm. you start talking about missional. Okay. And, and the fellow's perspective I, I felt was pretty Lutheran. He was saying that if you think of missional as the church is here to transform the world, mm. 
that's not it. Mm-hmm. The, the church, and I think what Greg Finke is saying is the church is here, this missional community is there to give the opportunity to those who are outside the church to encounter the kingdom of God or vice versa. The kingdom of God is here, is, right. is in you, is around, you know. And I, and I think I appreciate the direction he's going as opposed to, because sometimes a Calvinist would say, yeah, you know, it's, or, or you know, anyway. Yeah. So I, I appreciated that. Yeah. And that's, I think what I'm hearing from, from him is mm-hmm. the idea that, no, we're just, we're there so that people encounter, we are Jesus' body, the body of Christ going out into the world, giving people the opportunity mm-hmm. to be encountered yeah. by that kingdom of God. We're not probably going to change right. the whole world. Right. Yeah, I agree. And I think, I think he makes that pretty clear as well, you know, where he says, this is not your job. Jesus is doing the heavy lifting, right? And I think it's interesting because sometimes I think of what he's talking about in this book can seem like heavy lifting, right? Because it's not natural for us or it's not our, it's not our first inclination to be missional and to be really available and aware of what God's doing. Um, that's not always where we kind of live. Uh, but he, you know, I think Greg Finke is really clear that it's Jesus who's doing the changing, right? Um, it's us. We are, we just have to be aware of what God is doing and be ready, um, to however God wants to work, you know, through us. And we work with Jesus, not for Jesus. I don't know about you, but that, that is kind of a, that's kind of a shift. Um, I mean, I, it's, it was a shift a while ago, but that is not necessarily the way that Christianity has always looked at Christianity. It's been more, what are you doing for God opposed to what are you doing with God? And I think there's a pretty good distinction there. Okay. How about the other question? What was an aha moment you might've had reading the premise of the book in this first chapter? Or at the aha moment in the entire book. Gene? If I can go back to the first question. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, whole, notion, the whole notion of neighborhood. <laughs> yes. Um, and and uh, Winnie the Pooh's quote, yeah. no matter where you go, there you are. There you are, yep, yeah, I love that. <laughs> um, many of us, you'll find ourselves in a neighborhood and there you are. Yeah. And, and you know, this, this whole book, seems to be oriented toward, you know, you're there. So mm-hmm. just just follow Jesus' plan. Look, yeah. look for the opportunities. And yeah. um, you know, so the definition of neighborhood kind of mm-hmm. came clear to me looking through this. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting, too, because I think we tend to overthink being missional or being available to people, right? And we think it has to be in a certain context or in a certain framework. Um, But what Greg is saying, and I think clearly what Jesus showed us, right, he traveled all over. I mean, he traveled within a certain set of, you know, kilometers, but he traveled. And so wherever Jesus was, uh, there he was, right? (laughs) He was fully present and he was, he was aware, he was looking, he was, he was kind of encountering people and, and, and responding to people in that situation. Not, um, you know, he wasn't trying to um, say, this is only where I'm going to do this, you know, uh, except for the few times that he did where he said, and now we're going to, well, you're, you're left in the dust, right? (laughs) Um, when he told the, uh, disciples, then shake your feet if they don't, if they don't receive you. Um, but even that being aware of if this is not where God is, you know, working with you in this, you're not working with God in this situation, just keep, just keep going on, right? Go to your next neighborhood. 
I think that's also important when we get to our prayer walk in our neighborhoods in July. Um, and in that guide that Tom has uh, on the table, the prayer, you know, the discipleship guide for the summer, uh, the definition of neighborhood is wherever you spend time, right? So if, you, if you're in Newtown a lot, you know, if you're, at, if you're teaching at a school, that's your community, that's your neighborhood, um, you know, the people around that. Uh, if, it, if it's where you live, that's your neighborhood, right? But there's a lot of different, different definitions of neighborhood. Okay, any other aha moments? Marianne? I kind of made the connection with Stephen Ministry that we're yeah. just the vessel and it's all God doing the work. Mm-hmm. We're just present there in the moment and doing lots of praying. Yeah, absolutely. Great connection. Anyone else? Any aha moments? Okay, Linda? Uh, it's not exactly an aha moment, but it's a missed, missed moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in a Christopher Wren class book review of Louise Penny's uh, Inspector Gamache's and it sort of, the book sort of referenced God a little bit. Hmm. And so at, at the break, I was talking to this woman. Um, and for some reason, the um, conversation came around to, well, I haven't, I haven't been religious for 20 years. And, you know, hmm. I've, and I said nothing. Hmm. So. Okay. <laughs> okay. I still feel guilty. Yeah. You're forgiven. <laughs> it's not an, it wasn't a sin, but you are forgiven. You are absolved of that. Um, and so I, one good thing that I usually do is tell me more about that, right? Um, because that just lets the person talk. Um, for me, I have to fight then the temptation to say, right, <laughs> why, you know, well, why, you know, opposed to, oh, just be relaxed about it, right? Tell me more about that. You're open to receive whatever that person says, even if you don't agree with it. Um, but that, to me, I find that people are much more willing to talk if you just make that, if you just make that space. But it takes practice to be able to, you know, speak up. Um, because I also have found that when people are in that situation, not everyone, but sometimes people are on the alert, right, that if they don't want to get in an argument. So the other person, right, is like, well, I don't want to talk about religion. I just want to say those things. Um, but everyone has a story, right? And they can do that. So next time God gives you that opportunity, you you can be ready, right? All right. All right, let's move on to chapter two. So I, the two questions that I was looking at is, what is Jesus already up to in your neighborhoods? And what are the people around you almost ready for? I'm going to take Linda's example right there, right? So God is up to something in your neighborhood. Your neighborhood is the Christopher Wren Society, right? Society? Is that the Christopher Wren? Okay. Something about Christopher Wren. <laughs> right. So that's one of your neighborhoods, right? And in chapter two, they, they suggested that we do an exercise, list the neighborhoods that you have access to. And so what I'd like you to do is actually in your tables, just talk about that, and then we'll get your responses. What are all the, you don't have to list them all, but just kind of talk about the neighborhoods that you personally have access to. Um, and then maybe we can figure out what Jesus is doing in your neighborhood. So take about a minute and a half. It shouldn't take that long. Just talk in your tables. Okay. So let's hear about some of your neighborhoods. Um, Larry, Larry will give, let's start back here at this, the back table. What are some of the neighborhoods that you have access to? Linda. Yeah. Yes. Uh, You're the elected spokesperson. Uh, <laughs> we were very involved in Rotary when Campus Alive. So, okay. Uh, 
That was the neighborhood. Uh-huh. Uh, school, Christopher Wren. Yep. Master Gardeners. Yep. Um, church. Yep. And uh, okay. I forgot what else I said. Okay, great. What else? Anyone else? The bike paths around Williamsburg are also yes, a neighborhood. That um, is your neighborhood. Strike up conversations with people you've never met before. Absolutely. Okay. All right. How about Steve's got a Steve's got one for this table? You know, I think for a, a lot of us, our neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. I know they have an active neighborhood. We do. Uh, we've got a seniors group that we get together often with neighborhood events. We meet neighbors out walking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think the wine aisle at TJ's is quite a neighborhood. <laughs> it may be. <laughs> but it's a great place. Yes, it is a great place. Yes. <laughs> and then uh, House of Mercy, I'm there every Tuesday with right. and the homeless population. And mm-hmm. we see the same people just about every day. Yeah. So you get to know them. Yeah. And, you know, and now that they've redone yoga it. class. Oh, your yoga class? That. Yep. Yep. That's good. And now that they've redone Williamsburg House of Mercy, it is almost more like a neighborhood feel in oh, that, like, caf- the cafe area, you know, that they made. I love that because it really puts an emphasis on the neighborhood feel, like a community yes. feel. So. A- yeah. Folks know each other. When they're yeah. through, they go to the library, bus station, mm-hmm. hang out. They help each other out. So it's, it is its own little community. Yeah, Absolutely. So, so what is Jesus already up to in those neighborhoods? This could be a rhetorical question. It could be one for you to think more about. Um, Williamsburg House of Mercy, right? God is already certainly up to something there, um, big time. He's got people who need something and people who are providing and people who not everyone who needs something is not, not Christian, right? They, there, there are people who are Christian, so there is that that community who's also ministering to one another. Um, and what about your neighborhood neighborhoods? What could God be up to in your neighborhoods? It wasn't in this chapter, but in another chapter, he talks about how he had just moved, or they moved and they were living in Texas, and he saw one of his neighbors walking by who was really distraught, right? Um, and I thought that was really interesting. He, he kind of jokes that he kind of came out of the shadows and she was surprised and he doesn't tell us the details of their conversation, but just being aware of people who are around you. Um, I was in TJ's at Trader Joe's the other day and what? No, I was in the, I was in the checkout. I did go through the wine aisle, but uh, I was in the checkout and, um, and the very nice young man, uh, he said, how are you today? I said, I'm doing well. And I said, how are you doing? He goes, uh, I don't want to talk about it. It's just, it has not been a great day for me. I said, oh, okay, I'm sorry to hear that. I said, we don't have to talk about it. Let's talk about something else. <laughs> um, and so then he's proceeded to talk about something else. I don't even know if it was the thing that he didn't want to talk about, um, but I thought it was very interesting that he said uh, he didn't want to talk about it. <laughs> Yeah, that he actually said, and I, I love Trader Joe's because for, for their, you know, crew team members, um, they are always so talkative. And I met one one time when I was going through and it was, it was Wednesday night after I gotten out of here and it was probably like 830 and I was running through and I was talking to the guy and he said, oh yeah, um, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'm on a pastoral staff and I work here part time. And I was like, oh, cool. So you understand the, you know getting out really like, you know, running to try to get the groceries before the store closes. And 
So it's just always interesting to me when you just have that little bit of a window of opportunity. And I don't know what that the kid, had, you know, he was a kid, he just graduated from high school. You know, I don't know what um, was going on in his life, but I do know that I gave him some space. And I think what's really interesting, what Greg Finke talks about here, is that um, we, are, we are not necessarily going to be the ones who change people, right? And we may never see what that change is. Um, and it, it reminds me of Paul saying, you know, one of us planted, one of us watered, you know, so on and so forth. Um, but I always think to myself, in that situation, what is God doing so that that person might be prepared for the next step, right? Or the next person that they encounter. And so just having that awareness. All right. Chapter four, um, I actually skipped over that. Uh, are you stalling? Figure out, you're just like, Sue, you have something. Um, what came to my mind is that the people we see all the time in our neighborhood, mm -hmm. I, I feel like I need some fresh starts there mm -hmm. for conversation because I can strike up a conversation with people like on, uh, Father's Day weekend, this yeah. lady, she said, oh, it must be busy in there because there weren't very many carts and uh, I don't know, we just started talking and yeah. I I said, well, I'm not doing anything special for my husband because I'm always special, doing special things. And she, <laughs> and she said... I love that. It's, how, what a wonderful honor she gave you, Steve. That's great. So she said, I just wish I still had a husband to oh. do for. And I said, oh, so do I. I'm so sorry. Yeah. And she said, but I'm doing for my, um, for my son-in-law. And... It's so easy to start a fresh conversation right. and interject that yeah. for me. And I got to thinking, the people you see all the time, I don't know, my conversation maybe seemed a little, like it needed a little pep talk. Uh -huh. <laughs> a little pep talk for the talk? Yeah. 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 I need more conversation starters. Yeah. Um, Besides weather, right, which is easy here um, yeah. to complain about, at least for me. Um, right. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, you know, people you see all the time, you tend, I tend to need something to mm -hmm. bring up converse, you know, yeah, about, something new directed toward Jesus more mm -hmm. than the mundane. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah. So we'll pray for that. Claire, you want to. Yeah, and this isn't really about me, but I, I've been so impressed with one couple in our neighborhood. And she's an original Williamsburger, lived oh, over wow. on one of the farms that's now yeah. a, you know, a, a, a strip mall. But um, they always, we don't have a lot of new move-ins. We've only got 100 houses or something in Port Anne. But they always invite a new move-in for, I think it's Monday night, Harris Teeter has, I don't know, $7 pizzas, $5 pizzas right. or something. And they give this casual invitation to the new person within the first week. Wow. Come over, we'll just open a bottle of wine, have the yeah. pizza and salad. And so she had called, and you had talked, because I was sick, but... This woman who does this called to say, I want you to make, I want you to know, because I'm, I'm yeah. a caring team and we bring a book and a, a welcome thing. But I thought, man, yeah. that is really simple. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of the way Jesus is messing with me. But why don't yeah. I just the do simple more things. simple things like that? Mm -hmm. Because then they know all the new movements. Yeah, that's awesome. I get the name and the address, but I don't know those people the way yeah. they do because they've sat for an hour yeah. or two around their kitchen table. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I just thought that was a yeah. really cool idea. That is cool. And so going to, to Sue's question, and, um, you know, 
whether or not this would work for you or not, but it, you know, it could be a, that same similar concept, right? Of we're, we're starting something new, we're just going to, we're just going to do something new, right? We're going to do pizza and whatever, you know, um, and actually I've had your pizza. I've had your homemade pizza and that's very good. Uh, so if you made that, um, <laughs> but, but yeah, and sometimes I think we need to give ourselves permission to have like a, um, a restart or a pep talk for our conversations and also to say, uh, we're just going to do something. We're going to do something that we could have, or maybe we did do, you know, in the beginning, but we're, we're just trying something new. Um, and I think people are kind of receptive to that because it's like, oh, okay, you know, kind of, I, I don't hear you saying this, Claire, but almost like the, why didn't I think of that? You know, like, I wish I, I had done that, you know, and, and, and learning from people that that's something, oh, that I would like to do. Larry? Uh, one of the things I do in my neighborhood is I usually give them cookies the first week. You do, I know. And the They're other the thing best. I do is because <laughs> in Ford's Colony, we have a directory I print out the directory for the street they live on. So they have the names of everybody on that street. But nothing ever happens of that. Most mm -hmm. of them are younger. They got kids. I don't know if they think that, you know, thanks, but no thanks or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I do that, and then there's there's no interaction after mm -hmm. that. It's people go and come home. They go in their house. You don't mm -hmm. see them. But you did it, yeah. But and it, it's going to take more than that because that didn't, <laughs> But it's a start, right? And and I didn't think of that. You know, I mean, that I don't live in Ford's Colony, but that's a really good idea for those people who do have a directory. And it also reminds me of the story that he talks about with um, the woman who was the recluse, right? And she didn't she didn't need anything. She didn't need anything until the, when her husband had died. And then she called, you know, his wife and said, you know, come, can you come over? And um, she helped her. But then now it's just a note on the door, you know, every week, and they've established a phone call, and the, the recluse wants to get off the phone, but it's still there. And I think sometimes the hardest part is wondering when should we move the next, you know, next step forward, or when are we just doing what, what Jesus is already doing and has invited us in? Gene? Uh, on that matter of no follow-up, right? You, you never know what impact you make. Yeah. Uh, and, and I you know, recall when we lived back in Illinois, <clears throat> we, you know, there was Stewardship Sunday. Mm -hmm. You know, and the people who hadn't been involved in the stewardship program got a, got a visit. But, yeah. You know, if you're a volunteer, you go out in the <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> met this couple out on their driveway and, you know, mm -hmm. kind of handed out the materials. And they hadn't been terribly active, uh, apparently. Yeah. Um, Years later, 10 years later, when we left Illinois and moved to you know, New Jersey, that guy came up to me and said, you made such a difference in my life. Hmm. Remember that call? Yeah. It didn't seem that <laughs> yeah. significant to me. Yeah. But, you know, it, it, it was significant to him, and I hadn't the slightest idea yeah. until we were moving away mm -hmm. that that, that made you know, a difference. Jesus yeah. was working in his life, yeah. and my call, call just happened to be the right thing at the right moment. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, what a great story. Thank yeah. you for sharing that. Yeah, because so often we don't think that what we do makes a difference, right? And we just don't know. And you did get to know. That's cool that, that Jesus gave that to you, right? Yeah. I mean, 10 years later, you know, you do kind of wonder. All right, I'm going to turn it over to Sarah now. Uh, but if you had anything between chapters... <laughs> 
five through 10 that you wanted to talk about. We'll, I'll wrap up. So if you, you know, looked at anything in there that you wanted to do, uh, then I will wrap that up and we'll, we'll go back to that. But I'm going to hand it over to Sarah, who's going to be doing chapters 11 through 19. Okay. You just no. Oh, yeah, there. Okay. Cool. So I actually think this is a great tie-in. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit to chapter 14 because we've been talking about neighborhoods and how to relate with your neighbors, really, how to get that conversation going. And chapter 14 was really full of a lot of ideas and a lot of interesting quotes. Um, so it began with a Mr. Rogers quote, right? It's hard not to like someone once you know their story. So how do you think that this has worked in your life? I mean, we've heard some stories already, but like how can hearing people's stories help you to join Jesus on his mission? When we first moved to New Jersey, New Jersey, Virginia, into Port Anne, and within the first year I was invited to come on to the caring team. You know, we bring we welcome new people and we bring casseroles or whatever if somebody's sick well and um it was the woman who well i don't know if she formed it but she had been the leader of it for years and years and years and it was when i when she told me why she lived there that uh, why she lived in port ann because um she, her husband had died right before they moved here or she moved here and, I mean, it was her her widow story. You know, it was his death and how he wanted, I guess they were going to live somewhere else, and then he wanted her to go back to, or they were living somewhere else. He wanted her to go back to Williamsburg because that was where she had people. And so she had moved here on her own into the house that he had helped plan, but he died before they got here, before she got here. And I can't tell you how that made it so much easier for me to be able to say to her at, at, at any point from then on in our relationship, you know, how are things going? Um, uh, can I pray for you? Uh, you know, just the little things. And it, and it was because of that story. If I hadn't known that story, I still would have seen her as just an organizer lady, you know, in the neighborhood. <laughs> she was. She was very good at organizing. <laughs> That's an excellent story, an excellent way to connect with somebody. To, you have to know their story because it's hard. You can't, I mean, even going back to the story of Trader Joe's, you don't necessarily know what's going on in their life, what they're not willing to talk about or what they are willing to share to be able to connect with them. Go ahead, Sue. So, <laughs> Sue said this can be a very long story. Okay. <laughs> but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to consolidate sure. it as best I can. So, we've got... It used to be, I think, the main road between Jamestown and Williamsburg like centuries ago. It's called uh, Hickory Signpost Road. And there's some uh, fairly poor people back there. And we used to see, no, we used to see this, we call him Raggedy Man. Uh, he would be pushing his bicycle to a vacant lot with cat feet in it. He'd feed the cats. But he was a cat person. So we've stopped and we started to get to know him, bought food for him, 
met his sister, who the only thing she would say is, I don't like them cats, have a blessed day, shut the door. Well, as we began to know old Raggedy, we found out that he had a degree in electrical engineering. He was a pilot, and just something something happened. We're not really quite sure. And as we got to know him, we got to know his sister. And he's become good buddies. So with the family, and we know all the brothers. Wow. Yeah. And it's just. By looks, by outward appearance. You know, a lot of people just drove past him. A lot of people noticed him. Some thought he was homeless. But, I mean, once we stopped, we engaged in conversation. That, that family has a story. Yeah. Pretty amazing. And she is a woman of God. And we even uh, brought Pastor out to meet her. Yeah. You have to look be- beyond. The exterior to find good people, and I have encountered, especially in my work working days, that certain folks would come into the office that looked a certain way, and they're like, you know, but you can't you can't do that because some of the people with the most tattoos, piercings, and whatever are the nicest folks. I mean, our, our kids have them, but you know, <laughs> so some of them do. But anyway, you know, you don't just write somebody off because of their outward appearance. Yeah, you know, we, we, uh, it's our cat sitter's boyfriend. Uh, she said, you know, he's, he just does odd jobs here and there, have anything. So we hired him to do our porch painting. And here's this big old hulking guy, I don't know how big he is, and probably 300 pounds with pins through his ears. But the greatest guy and a hard worker, so. You've got to look beyond the outward appearance and really get to know the person. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's been... No, that's fine. That's perfectly fine. Thank you for sharing. It's, it is quick and easy to judge people based on outward appearances. Yeah, exactly. It's too easy. We're quick to judge a book by its cover. <laughs> We're never... It's almost like it's scary for us to dig deep and go inside and look and see what is the person's story. In order to make that connection with them, and in order to have a conversation with them, to bring them to God, because they may not know God, and that's an easy connection to try to make with them through a conversation to have. Um, and I think this also goes into again with I'm keep losing this microphone. It's not working. <laughs> so I want to go like this now because this is this is just easier. It's better for me. I think it's the glasses. Anyway. <laughs> Um, So the opening sentence of the chapter says that God can do more with two people talking with each other than he can with two people successfully ignoring each other. (laughs) So why does this make so much sense? I mean, that's a pretty straightforward sentence. And how might this reality influence our relationships with each other, with family, with neighbors, and with people with whom we are in regular contact? Well, I know I was always an introvert, and when I became more of a Christian, I realized I couldn't be an effective Christian as an introvert. Um, And I'm still an introvert. If given my own, I could go off and live on my own and top of a hill and be perfectly happy. But I can't share my faith that way, so I'm still trying to learn to be a less introvert, but... um, 
it's something that I'll never have to quit working on because that's just my nature. And somehow God convinced me you, you can't help me if you're going to be an infant. It's going to sound like I'm attacking Larry, but I'm not. There is nothing wrong with me being an introvert. This entire book, all the way back to a blaze, a blaze upsets me unbelievably because it's a bunch of extroverts saying, step one, become an extrovert. This is easy. You know, just do this, just that. It's like, I've been censured at work for talking about my faith, okay? There's not reluctance. It's inability to do it. It's like, look. You can play LeBron James. Just do this, this, and this. It's like, I can't even make a layup when I'm on the court by myself. You want me to rebuild a jet engine from a pile of parts with no directions? I'm an introvert. I can handle that. And I don't think that Jesus has a problem with the fact that I'm an introvert. But this whole book is based on just be an extrovert. And things just fall into place. Well, they do for you, Mr. or Ms. Extrovert. But I don't think there's anything wrong with me being an introvert. Talking to people here at church, you're wonderful. You're my friends. I feel significant. It drains me. That's really the meaning of being introverted is that when you deal with people, it takes psychic energy out of you. Whereas politicians, extroverts, actors, actresses, they draw energy from relating to other people. And so doing all this is, yeah, sure, have 50 friends. It, but there's nothing wrong with me because I'm introverted, okay? I'm, and, and, but this whole book, this approach is all about being extrovert. It's like back up. Think hard, Mr. Extrovert, Ms. Extrovert. I can't have a personality transplant. And I'm not a bad Christian because I'm an introvert. You've got to find ways for me to do what Jesus wants without telling me I have to be something I'm not. Now, yes, I am. <laughs> but you're just saying stop being an introvert. You want me to go debate Richard Dawkins, no, no, but I can. No, no, no. I can do that. Theology, any of this problems people have, you know, I, I haven't been religious. Talk about it. Wade right in there. It's cold. Talk to people on the street, but not... Go with the flow, do all that stuff. It's not going to happen, and there's nothing wrong with me, and I'm not going to stop being an introvert. I, I got it out of my system. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to. Let me add one more thing. Sure. Um, I still don't like parties. I'll avoid party, parties with a plague. But what I've learned is I'm comfortable one on one. So I can engage that way, and that's, that's the way I, I can help people. When I'm one-on-one, -on -one, if I'm in a group, I'm going to be, be listening most of the time. I'm not going to be participating. But one-on-one, -on -one, small groups, then I feel very comfortable. Then I can open up. And that was also a growth. <laughs> you know, this kingdom of God is an interesting thing. Um, it, it's composed of uh, a lot of us introverts and extroverts and you know knowing that Jesus is working in you know all of our lives and all of people's lives out there um, it takes a certain person to make a connection okay 
sometimes it's introvert to introvert building that jet engine. Um, you know, so I don't think um, I don't think we should take away we need to be a different person. We ought to be the person that we are, and Jesus will put the connections there that are comfortable. And 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 I think we should look at it in that way rather than I need to change my spots. And speaking as an introvert myself, I also hate the whole large party scene. And this book, when I first read it, I also felt like, yeah, this is great for extroverts. Go out in your neighborhoods and your communities, have a big gathering and have a party. Woohoo! Talk about Jesus, which is great, right, for extroverts. <laughs> but for introverts, we're a lot better one-on-one with people. I don't know about you two <laughs> introverts and all the other introverts in here, but we're good building relationships, especially strong bonded relationships, very close relationships with people one-on-one. And if that means going to a coffee shop to meet up with them and having a little one-on-one Bible study together with just two, maybe three people, a very small group, great. That's a start. That's something. Or if it, even if it's just talking on the phone, it doesn't even have to be in person if you don't want to leave the house. If you're still getting into the word and talk, having that conversation about God in any way, shape, or form, even if it's at church, even if it's on Sunday mornings where everyone's talking about God at some point, right? <laughs> Whether it's in service or Bible study, it's happening. And there's, it is very, very draining to be with a bunch of people, especially on Sundays too, in church even. Even though you're in the house of God, it's the safest place, it's the greatest place to be. But it is incredibly draining because there are so many people. But it's it's good to be able to make those connections one-on-one and even to hide in a corner <laughs> with somebody, right? But it's where we feel most comfortable. And just have a relational talk every once in a while. That's good for us, too, because we certainly can't isolate ourselves. That's not a good thing to do. I found, because I consider myself to be introverted as well, and I do much better one-on-one, that in crowds, and, and I don't know if it's typical of introverts, I tend to listen. I listen to watch expressions. I read a lot of body language. And I think that helps with your one-on-one if you care to go one-on-one with somebody. It's that you've Extroverts a lot of time are just tuck, 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 tuck. And they're not picking up on other conversations or expressions or body language. Whereas we introverts do that, and that's valuable as well. We're probably going to find out we all feel like introverts. <laughs> um, I think for me, the, the idea of this talking to someone, when I fail at that, and I do a lot, but I, I identify with that story you told is because I haven't prayed beforehand. I think he talks about, make sure you're saying, Jesus, what are you up to? But I, but my critique, <laughs> when he had the five actions, uh, you know, that you do, I wish he'd put prayer at the first. Uh, S.D. Gordon, I read his book, Power, uh, I don't know, Power of Prayer, or something like that, a long time ago. I don't even know what his denomination is, a skinny little book, and I read it, and I loved it. And he talked about one line he had, and it's, we would consider it sexist today, but he said, you... 
before you talk to the man about God, you've got to talk to God about the man. Okay, the person. And, and, I've, and I've always felt like that's so wise. And I don't live it all the time. But when I go out my door in my neighborhood, I ought to be saying, oh, yes, them. I'm praying for that opportunity because then maybe I'll be looking. That's when I fail is when I'm not even really looking. And, I mean, he says one is the seeking. But I wish he'd put prayer first and last. Maybe he'd have six. (laughs) All steps prayer. (laughs) Yeah. So those steps Seeking the kingdom, hearing from Jesus, talking with people, doing good, administering. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, so here are five ways to thrive as an introvert in missions. <laughs> so, so the first one is value your talents. Um, the second is carve out alone time with God and self. Third is shine in your one-on-ones, right? Four is avoid isolation. Interesting how these points keep coming up. And five is feed your inner artist. Feeding your soul, yeah. That is very interesting. It is good. We do. We do shine in one-on-one conversations. And we're good at reading each other's language. I can draw all the opposites. For most of you know my mother, <laughs> Terry. <laughs> you know that she can talk a lot, right? <laughs> she is an extrovert. <laughs> and a lot of people can draw a lot of different opposite characteristics between her and me. Or even her and my dad. Because my dad and I are the introverts in the family. We're the listeners. My mom's a talker. <laughs> so even in a phone call, you can see that happening. It's... But in conversation, that happens a lot, too. And if someone wants to talk about God, if you have a conversation with an extrovert, sometimes it's draining, but sometimes it's also really good for an introvert because introverts want to listen. So if extroverts are doing all the talking, that's wonderful, right? (laughs) We thrive on that. Maybe we don't want to talk. Or maybe we do want to be heard. In which case, you can tell them. Be assertive enough to tell them, right? I have something to say about this, or this is how I feel about this. Sure. I think what I hear you saying, Sarah, and I mean, it's not exactly what you've said, but I think I hear you saying to me, at least right now, you know, the Lord speaking through you is, hey, I want you to be, and it's what Finky says, I want you to be doing what I want you to be doing, not what Greg Finking says to do. You know, who you are, be that person, but be open to me. And here I'll give a big confession, and now it's going to be online, so everyone on earth will know. But, But, you know, when we... I am more afraid of inviting one person or two people over for dinner because, I mean, this is ridiculous. You think I'm an extrovert. No, I'm an introvert. And so that scares me because I always say to myself, what are we going to talk about? Whereas if we are hosting a big party, and here's the confession, as the introvert, I can just keep working and not have to talk to anyone except, oh, can I get you this? Oh, oh, napkins, we'll get that. And that's where I fail often, is to fall into that escape that doesn't even necessarily look like escape, but it's not what Jesus is probably telling me to do. And that's the problem. Not what Greg Finke tells me to do, but what's Jesus telling me to do when those people are in our house? It's almost like a Mary Martha scenario, you know? <laughs> yeah. I'm just kind of curious now. How many introverts do we have in here? You know, I, wow. 
I'm almost wondering if that's more of a dominant trait. I don't know. But I, I'm an introvert, but in my jobs I had to learn how to be an extrovert, and I can be one. But frankly, I kind of prefer the introvert side. <laughs> well, right, it's, it's safer, and, and like, you know, what do I say? Yeah. Well, we're, we're yeah, done. yeah, we're almost done. Um, thank you, Sarah, for that um, <laughs> Who knew? But it is—it's really important, and I think Claire, that's where we're gonna—we're gonna end with that with, of with everything that is in this book. It's all—it's all interesting. But if it's not what God is asking us to do or asking you to do, right? So I—I'm an extrovert. I get. Um, energized by being with people. Uh, it doesn't mean that I don't need time not with people, right? That's a, that's a fallacy as well. <laughs> um, yes, I need, yeah. And, but I, um, I'm an external processor and that's also something that, uh, is different between introverts and extroverts. I, I talk out everything out loud, even when I'm alone. I know everyone says, Oh, it's okay to talk about, you know, it's okay to talk to yourself, but like, I literally talk the entire scenario out. I can't do it in my head. Um, and so for me, it's always good to be around introverts who can be listening and who can then reflect back what I have said. Sarah brought up her dad, Dan, he's really good at that. Um, I think, you know, he would also credit that to Stephen ministry training as well, uh, to be able to say what I hear you saying, you know, cause I do a lot of word salad. <laughs> I say a lot of things. And then I, sometimes I need someone to say, oh, all these words you just said sound like, sounds like this. Um, and so for me, it's valuable, but it's not, it, it can't just be extroverts, right? You would never, you would never have people be running around, you know, always having parties, you know, like Greg Finke says in here. Um, but I think Claire, when he talks about the, um, like the block party that they started, uh, you know, that, that's something I've always wanted to do. <laughs> And so I could really relate to it, but doing that, actually having, you know, the mechanism to do that is one thing, but I bet that a lot of those people who came felt something like you said, you know, where if I go and there's only a couple people, what if I have to, what if I have to do the talk or what are we going to do? What are we going to talk about? And the fact that 85 people showed up to me, that's a God sighting, right? God knew that there would be all different people there and that all these different people would need the people that they need to talk to and to listen to. And again, what is God already doing? Where is God already working? And how do we, how do we just join, join into that mission? Um, you know, Jesus, Jesus was Jesus, right? So he was, he was both extrovert and introvert. Uh, you know, so he had that recharging time alone with his father. Um, but then he went out and spent time with people and, and worked with that, you know, and, and was energized by it. But then he also had that time alone. And so I think if we look at him and what he was doing, uh, that is really our, you know, I see what Greg, Greg think he does this too. He says, what, look at what Jesus did, right? So look at how Jesus, how Jesus taught, how Jesus spent time with people. Um, you know, when he talks about how, uh, Jesus was accused of being a drunkard and a, um, you know, glutton. Jesus didn't actually overeat. Jesus didn't overdrink. He didn't do those things, but he was accused of that because he was with people who didn't look like him, who other people judged, right? And Jesus saw past that. 
And so to me, the, the bigger truth of what we need to take out of what Greg is saying here is um, what did Jesus do? Not what would Jesus do? What did Jesus do? And, and how do I do that in my neighborhood? How do I do that? How do I take what Jesus is showing me to do? And how do I be present in that neighborhood? Um, because, of course, you know, we can say, of course, Jesus was the, the prime example. He was the best at it. But he didn't. Um, I, was, I was reading in my devotions this morning, uh, John 13, where Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. And he says, um, I'm doing this so that you will also go and do this. <laughs> you know, I have taught you. Now you go and do and that's what Jesus was always doing. He was teaching and he was sending. He was teaching and he was sending. Um, I am not comfortable literally washing people's feet, you know. And I mean, I know Jesus is literally saying that that's exactly what we have to do. But the serving, right? And then, then so my challenge is, okay, if I'm not comfortable with that, but where is Jesus calling to be, me to be uncomfortable when I serve, when I serve, right? And I think that's what he's trying to say to us is, I'm showing you to do, how to do this. I will do it. And Jesus never asks us to do something that he wouldn't be willing to do, right? Never. He's, always, he's already done it all. And so he says, now just go and, and do this. Um, so I think, you know, Greg has a lot of good points here. But to land on that, it's not, it's not necessarily what Greg Finke would do. It's what, what is Jesus calling us to do? Um, so as we close, any other final thoughts before we pray? Um, cause I'm going to pray for us to be in our neighborhoods and be aware. Any other final thoughts or questions or ahas? No. Okay. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for this book. Um, and for your son, Jesus, who showed us what to do did what he wants us to do, and then invites us to join him in that mission. And so, God, now we, we bring to mind those neighborhoods, our neighborhoods where we are, our neighborhoods where we may be a strong presence in or maybe a peripheral presence in, Lord. But all those neighborhoods that you have put us in, that you've called us to be in, Lord, we we turn those neighborhoods over to you. We, we ask that you would be present in those neighborhoods and that your spirit would be guiding us, leading us, empowering us, equipping us, encouraging us to be present in those neighborhoods and to have your eyes to see people and your ears to hear people and your mouth to speak to people and your hands to serve people. That we ask that, and we fully realize that um, you have prepared good works in advance for us to do. And so, Lord, we ask that you would remove that stalling that's in our hearts, wherever that is that you know. We ask that you would fill our hearts with um, power, the power of the Holy Spirit, and take away our fear. And God, that we would trust you and that we would feel your love as we go out to join you in your mission. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King of Glory Church Education Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God and his people, grow in faith and love, and live through service and sharing. Visit us on the web at kogva.org.